Tonight we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 to 24. The odds of winning the uh, North Carolina Mega Millions uh, lottery, which is like the highest stakes lottery cash out that the North Carolina lottery provides, is th- 1 in 302 million. 1 in 302 million people win the North Carolina Mega, Mega Millions lottery. To put that in context, 1 in 340,000 people are killed by fireworks. More likely to get killed by fireworks. We're going to get even smaller. You are more likely to kill by lightning at a rate of 1 in 114,000. I know this is a little bit morbid. Here, here's a funny one. 1 in 10,000 people will be injured by a toilet. All right, so if you like bidets, look out. Um, this is where it comes from. 1 in 500 people are born with 11 fingers or toes. All right, and this is where it gets really kind of weird. 1 in 119 of us are going to fall to our death. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, so why, if you are more likely to die from falling off of a ladder, uh, be born with 11 fingers, uh, be struck by lightning, for goodness sake, um, would we still give ourselves to the lottery in North Carolina? Why do 46%, that's a big number, of 18 and older uh, adults in North Carolina play this game? And friends, the answer is because treasure hunting is in our DNA. From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pray with me. Father, would you, would you guide our time tonight? Uh, would you uh, be careful uh, to, to help us to settle in to the good news of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in your word, convincing us of its truth and presenting us to us a vision that is absolutely compelling. Most of all, connect our lives to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you've, you know that you've at least heard, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. Jesus tonight is saying you are what you love. You've heard it. You are what you eat, and Jesus tonight is saying, you are what you chase, you are what you pursue, you are what you love. I'm getting at directly from verse 21, where your treasure is, so is your heart. In the ancient world, the heart isn't like our modern understanding of the heart. The heart to the ancients was the very center of being. It was the place from which everyone understood and made sense of their lives. It is where the will and the volition exist. The heart was your identity. And so tonight, Jesus is saying, whatever it is that you chase, that you pursue, or that you love, whatever your heart is drawn to, this is actually who you are. That's who you are. So the question for us tonight is, what do we chase? What do you come here tonight pursuing? What is rattling around in your heart 
that's desiring or, or, or putting itself over you as a strong desire. A question you can ask yourself as you think about the things that your heart chases is, what do you find yourself daydreaming over? Upon what do you spend most of your money? What makes you most happy or brings you the most pleasure? These questions don't necessarily mean that you're going to find some uh, terrible thing within your mind or heart that, that you're chasing, but it could. It's a diagnostic. It's a good question to ask. Often when I want something, I, I will spend some time in the car, like going in between meetings or, or heading home or, 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 or to campus, and I'll just find myself sort of dreaming about having that, that object or, or that, that little gadget that, that I want. You can always track your money. I, I know that you all, and we're in a situation in life where we're not just spending money uh, because we want to, we're spending it to survive and to eat. Nevertheless, where the places that we do invest can tell us some things what makes you the most happy right is it is it getting drunk is it pursuing people um, in an objectionable way what makes you most angry and fearful as we talked about a few weeks ago we 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 know that god has given us this emotion of anger that we rarely use properly and one of the gifts of anger is to notice the places in which we are trying to protect the most that we're most afraid of Right? We get angry over the people in our lives that we love to get hurt. Where or, or upon whom are you most angry or fearful? Like I said, these questions don't necessarily mean that these are your, your true loves, that they're somehow a treasure on earth, but they can. They can be a place to start. And Jesus is talking to these people, and he's saying these people are sitting on landmines, and they have no idea. That the thing that they're chasing, which isn't me, is actually going to consume them. Is it our relationships? Is it our friendships? Is it your look or your aesthetic? Is it your body? Is it your exam scores? Is it your to-do lists? Is it your hygiene, you weird clean freaks out there? Is it your sports? Is it your likes on social? Friends, Jesus is saying that it's not a question of whether we chase, pursue, and love the things that aren't Him. But it's a question of who or what. It's not a question of do you or don't you love God only. It's a question of you will worship, you will chase, you will pursue. Who is it? What is it? Because our hearts are designed to hunt for treasure. So the first thing I want to look at is the problem uh, with earthly treasure, then the effects of earthly treasure, and then how do we begin to pursue this heavenly treasure? So back in verse uh, 19, we see that the real problem with earthly treasure, treasure on earth, according to Jesus, is subject to decay. It's subject to deterioration. It's subject to unforeseen and turbulent circumstances. Rust or moth or theft or the stock market or your stingy roommate. All these things, the things that we lay up upon earth, the problem with them isn't the things in and of themselves. The problem is that they are temporary. We're made to lay up treasure, friends. But we only think <laughs> or we get satisfied 
with versions of it that, that don't actually fulfill us. You see, Jesus isn't attacking our desire. He's attacking the direction or the content, the object of it. We're really just preferring the wrong things. One well-known author says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with sex and drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an arrogant child, ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, Lewis writes. In other words, we, we settle for the candy bar when, when, when a protein-rich and veggie and fruit-rich dinner is often offered to us. We want the fool's gold. It burns hot in our bodies. It seems to satisfy quickly, and yet we all know that we're hungry quickly after. We prefer these cheap calories. We, we, we actually move toward lust more than intimacy. We want things that are but dim reflections of what our God wants for us. You see, our cheap versions of wealth promise happiness, but they never fully deliver. And Jesus' answer to the question of why it's because happiness depends on lasting wealth. And the things that we settle for simply don't last. This is the problem. What are the effects of a life pursuing these earthly treasures? Well, in verses 22 to 23, Jesus begins to, 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 to sort of change subjects a little bit, but it's actually not. He's actually drawing another point out here as he sort of diagnoses our hearts. He's, he begins to comment and, and make a connection between our eyes and our hearts. And he's essentially saying that it's not like our eyes are flashlights or light bulbs in themselves. Do you see that in the text? He's saying that it is through your eyes that the light of your heart shines. Or to put it another way, the eye of your body is literally a window for the lamp that's inside of it. The question is, is the lamp there? Matthew 12, Jesus goes on to sort of speak about this principle, and he's, and he's talking to some religious leaders, and he says, Out of the mouth, the abundance of the heart speaks. What he's talking about, the connection he's making, is that our eyes are, are showing forth, or not showing forth at all, the light of the gospel that exists within us. I couldn't help but think about my wife's grandmother's Christmas village. Man, that thing makes me feel so warm. And nostalgic when she puts it up. It's got like 25, maybe more um, pieces of this village. And you know that moment, like you've got your churches and your houses and your markets and, and all these different things, and the, and, the, and the light gets turned on, and, and you see this little glow sort of make its way across this sort of Christmas village. This is what Jesus is describing. It's through these little nooks and crannies of these churches and buildings and markets and barbershops and butcher shops that you see the light kind of coming through. And Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like, a life chasing the treasures of heaven. But there's a fatal flaw. There is a flaw. You see, our eye health is determined by our heart health. And a heart set on treasures on earth, materialism and other things, the thing that will begin to happen to our eyes is that we will grow cataracts. Have you ever had a dog whose eyes had cataracts? It's actually quite sad, and their eyes sort of glaze over. 
and maybe bump into things. You still love that dog until they die. But um, this is what happens. When, when, when our heart health is shot, instead of light being shown through it, our eyes are glazed over. Cataracts begin to build. In other words, friends, greed makes us blind. It makes us blind. Jesus goes on to say, like, hey, there's not just a, um, it's your whole body in these two verses. It's not just a part of your body that's bright or dark. It's your whole body is either shining or it is dim. And the reason is that our greed, the, the lust of our hearts, actually begins to blind and to cover our eyes. The funny thing is, the ironic thing is, if, if and as we walk away from this text and we say to ourselves, you know what, Jesus, I'm not so sure I struggle with materialism problems. Chances are we're in the most danger. <laughs> this is the effect of this fool's gold in our hearts. We hear this phrase that Jesus says at the end of this passage, you can't serve God and money. And we begin to develop in our minds like, man, that seems so harsh. Is it really that black and white? You see, in, in, the, in the world we live in today, we, we often think of our lives as like a pie, right? And we've got these percentages that we can give ourselves to. We can, we can do you know, this percentage to work, this percentage to school, this percentage to school, and this percentage to God, right? And so we've got this sort of compartmentalized life. Or, or maybe we think, maybe we, you could kind of think about it in the metaphor of like building blocks that you had as a kid. And you've got these sort of building blocks that create whatever you're making. And, and, and you've got these different ones that represent the different parts of your life. And, and Jesus is one. And, and Jesus is trying to blow that house of cards down. I did not come to fit into your scheme of life. I came to be the very source of it. I came to be the very foundation of it. The whole thing is going to make sense with me. You see, the problem with that worldview that sort of compartmentalizes and thinks that, man, it's not just God and money. I can love Jesus and also have my other things, right? You see, the logical conclusion of this type of thinking is that we begin to think of Christians like on this sliding scale between like white hot for Christ and sort of apathetic. And you see, believers aren't, it, the goodness of God isn't connected to our ability to express it well or not. It's all about our reflection of God's goodness upon us, which, Lord willing, produces deeper and deeper faithfulness. But when we begin to start to think about our life with God as like, you know what, if I didn't do, maybe I should just uh, stop doing this all that much, and maybe I'll just spend more time at church, or I'll spend more time at large group. Your life isn't a bar graph. It's not a pie chart. And Jesus actually wants to encourage us, though it sounds like he's rebuking us, as he sort of puts to us this binary of you can't serve both. These are the effects. We begin to try to get around this, like, oh, to be sure there's a way to sort of fit them both in. So the problem is they're, they're, te temp they're temporary. The effect is that we grow blind to these things. And so I hope we're asking the question, like, how then do we begin to pursue a life of, of, of wanting heavenly treasure? How do we get the light inside of our whole body? The only way, the only way to pursue what is eternal, my friend, is to be pursued by the eternal one. We must receive the ultimate treasure in heaven if we will ever stand a chance of treasuring 
Him. The only way for us to treasure Him was for Him to treasure us. That's it. That's the only way that this works. That's the only way that our flimsy versions of following Jesus that sort of ebb and flow with our moods, that our, our, our dependence upon Him sort of increases or decreases on our ability to believe that He's good instead of trusting Him in His Word. The only way that He actually begins to be who He says He is in our life is to see the ways in which He treasured you. That's the only point, that we begin to treasure Him. Though He was eternal, right? He put on what was temporary, making Himself vulnerable to our sin, to the, to the rusting decay of our lives, so that as He stood in the gap, the place in which we were to stand, that we might actually see our truest treasure, our Savior, who is calling us out and away from this fool's gold living. You know what happens when you've been loved this way. You know what it's like when, when, when you've been treasured in such a way that you're, you're, you're free for the first time to not, to not look for it in everyone else. The only way to understand what Jesus is saying here, the only way for the penny to drop in your soul is to sense with your heart the devotion that God has for you in Christ. Jesus has come to take over and be the new grid, the new source, the new map, the new scaffolding of your life to be with you as you face each and every day. He's not asking you to put more coal in your fire, fuel in your engine, Adderall in your body. He's asking to be the treasured Savior that He is because it was He that looked upon you in this way. You see, when we've been loved this redemptively, when we've been treasured in this way, it's finally and only then that we begin to have some changes happen in our hearts, right? When this actually happens, criticism won't cut as deep anymore. Did you know that? When this actually happens, betrayal won't sting quite as much. When this actually happens, breakups won't send you in a spiral. When this actually happens, failure won't send you to a bar. When this actually happens, suffering will not be the end of your life. Because you see, it is God is bringing you back to Himself. We are all servants to our treasure. And we will pay any price for whatever treasure we choose. But the treasure in heaven is unique. I'll close with this illustration. I don't know how familiar you are with Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings, but as I was thinking about this text, I, I couldn't help but think about Samwise Gam Gamgee and, and Frodo Baggins and the quest that they made um, to get rid of this, this ring, Sauron's relic of evil that was just a vacuum. It was this treasure that was just making people become the worst versions of themselves, right? And they go on this sort of treasure hunt, if you will, uh, to get rid of this treasure, um, to get rid of it at Mount Doom. And as the story goes, one of the most fascinating pieces of this tale is that this little hobbit, Samwise, is, is not nearly affected by this treasure. It doesn't seem to cast its same spell upon him. Frodo, on the other hand, also a hobbit, he, he begins to sort of come under it, and it, toward the end, is, is really starting to, to, to come over him and, and to begin to change him in some unhealthy ways. And we see in Samwise something just beautiful is happening. 
Tolkien, who was a Christian, wrote this story, and, and I'm convinced that the reason this treasure didn't consume Samwise's heart is because he already knew how valuable he was to this mission. He didn't need it to add anything else to him. He didn't need, he didn't need Frodo's approval. He didn't need anyone else's. When Gandalf chose him to go with Frodo, that's all he needed. You see, friends, when, when, when you know that you have been valued to the end, you're free. You don't look to your roommate or your friends or to me or me to you or, or anyone for that matter to give you the praise that you can only hear and be satisfied with the voice of Jesus. Every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die to purchase it. Jesus is the only treasure who died to purchase you. When you realize that you are his treasure, he will become yours. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Amen. Hey, Father, we, we, we praise you tonight that you have moved toward us in ways that we just simply could not imagine. Uh, Father, we, we disbelieve each and every day the lengths in which you moved against our rebellion and sin to overcome all of this, to have us a part of your family. And Lord, we, we ask you, we ask you through, through the words that you preached these thousands of years ago, Jesus, would you help us to hear it tonight? Would the melody of the gospel finally begin to play in our hearts? Would you fuel obedience by the grace of Jesus alone? That we would long to say yes, we would playfully follow you, that we would love being your children in this place. We would absolutely desire to serve you because of the love and grace you've shown to us undeservedly. I ask that this be true. May it be so, Holy Spirit. Amen.